We know that in two days we're going to have a start of a new year. I don't know how you view it. Some people look at it with all great excitement. People go and watch the ball fall. And, and to be honest with you, I've never been one to be excited about the ball fall in New York. Have you? Does anybody like to see the ball fall? How many stays up to midnight every night? And not every night. Okay. On New Year's Eve, you stay up to midnight. There's been times that I have, but many times my wife and I uh, are going to bed. We just get the kids to sleep or whoever's there and, and we go on to sleep. But there's one thing about it. Some people get all excited. There'll be thousands of people up in Times Square. I know my sister last um, uh, New Year's Eve, her and her whole family went up there. All five of them went up there. And they were so excited to see the ball drop. I had a little different take on the New Year. A lot of times I'm kind of sad because this year is past. What have I seen happen in this past year? What have I seen go down? What have I seen come up? What have I seen uh, remain the same? And maybe you feel a lot the same. Maybe, you, maybe you're looking at the new year that I could do something different. And I ask this probably every year I ask this. How many of you in here do New Year's resolutions? How many has ever made one? Three of us. Okay. So when we do, we have these great aspirations. Great, the, the number one thing, who knows what the number one thing in America is that the... Uh, I'm getting interrupted, but you're exactly right. And uh, when you go to a gym, when you, if you go to the next gym, it is, if you are not a member right now, you probably you're going to be a member for about the next month and maybe another gym in town. But there's something about that makes people want to get motivated to improve themselves and, and they think, why is it this year? What can I expect different in my life this year? If you don't stay very committed to that thing, you're going to get exactly what you got last year. It's going to last for a short while and it begins to wane, it begins to flutter away and, and you're back in where you were in the beginning. Uh, I thought of a lot of things that change, that people make changes of. And, and so I wrote down a few things. Some of these apply to me and some of them don't, but a lot of them apply to a lot of us. My plans next year are this, harmony in my family. Oh my goodness, if there's anything that would be any greater than that, I don't know what it was. I don't know what it could be. Because your family and peace within your family and harmony, the ability to get along is so important. Harmony in my family, to lose weight. To have really God direction in my life, to get out of debt. Now, that's a painful one because it's kind of awkward to try to get out of debt. And you start talking about finances with people, they get a little uh, uneasy about the conversation. Stick to your budget. More exercise. Better sleep. Stop procrastinating. If there's one that I have a, a problem with, it's that one. And it may not be over big things. It may be something little, but I have a tendency to procrastinate about things. And we won't leave it open for discussion. Uh, eat healthier. But one of those that is very important is, is that you see yourself growing spiritually. If you don't see yourself growing spiritually, you can th take all these other things that have very minimal value except for the, the part about the family, harmony in the family. But there's very little benefit in all these other things compared to growing spiritually. But you know what every one of these requires? Extreme dedication. And some of us have very little and some of us don't have any. 
And some of us need to mature into more. I'm going to go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, and that's where we're going to start this morning. It was Paul's final words to Timothy, and and I don't know if you think about this, but what if you knew you were going to die in this next year? What would be your final words to your kids or to your wife or or to your grandkids or to that real good friend that you have that you take for granted sometime? What would be your final words? Whether you like it or not, one day you will have some final words. I hope they're not out of anger, out of frustration with anyone Before we talk about this, I want to talk about Paul for just a minute. On the road to Damascus, when Paul was converted, there was, it was a great experience. It wasn't really great for him at the time, but it was a light shone from heaven, knocked him off his donkey, and, and got his attention. He was blind for three days. But something happened in, in, in chapter 9, verse, verse 16. There was something very important that's said there that we didn't, maybe we don't think about the importance of it at that time, but, and maybe we don't think about it having any importance in our life, but it said, many things will he suffer for my sake. Many things will he suffer for my sake. And the way you suffer for his sake is that you keep enduring, you put up with there were so many times, I don't know if he ever felt like it, but, but I could imagine he, he, he would because he didn't have a wife, he didn't have any kids. And, and so when he would get discouraged or he got all these things would go wrong in his life and he went through so many things, his heart had to, be, had to get heavy. Chapter four, verse six and seven. For I'm now ready to be offered <clears throat> and the time, I, my, the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. He knew his life was about to be older, over. See, they sent him up to, uh, to Nero, and, and, they, and they had his head chopped off. And I don't know if that seems very glorious to you, but I want to tell you there's a difference between him and John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist is frustrated when he was about to get his head uh, decapitated or removed or whatever. He was very frustrated because he didn't understand why Jesus didn't come and deliver him. And Jesus knew he was there. But why didn't he come? Because John had lots of questions about that. And then Peter, knowing where he's going and what's about to take place, he had total confidence, and he still gave him words of encouragement to Timothy. Verse 6, one more time. For I'm now ready to be offered at this time and my departure is at hand. He was ready. He was not angry. He was not disappointed. He was not frustrated. I guarantee just about everyone in here, something in your life frustrates you or disappoints you. That, you're, that you get sick of things because of the way it's happened. And, and so many times we pick God upon, we judge God upon his, his ability to allow these things and not come through in the way that he should. We often get too stressed about life. Life has been disappointed, disappointing. God has let us down. And oh, I say this quite often because so many of these things I can relate to. And I think that most couples in here can relate to. There's things about life that become frustrating, but, but yet 
He was not. He was totally content in verse 6. And you know, his time is at hand. Verse 7. I have fought a good fight. Did that mean that everything was easy? Never. I think that everything in life that we go through sometimes, we may have questions about it, we may wonder about it, but if he has fought a good fight, he has battled through, he's prayed through, he's, he's got through conflicts with other brothers and, and that weren't that they were not godly or whatever, they had disagreements. And those disagreements you have with your spouse... There's a lot of things that need to be overlooked instead of nitpicked. I don't know where this is coming from, I guess, <laughs> whatever. But uh, there's so many things in life that frustrate you within your home and things that go wrong within your home. And it's so important that you are focused as a man or as a woman upon your home that you are not constantly criticizing and bringing up things to argue about within your home. Because it throws everything else in disarray. It throws your focus out. It throws your relationship with the Lord onto a place that it doesn't need to. And so you need to make sure that you govern, you regulate those things right within your own life. Let's go on. He's finished his course. His purpose was to teach Timothy what? To finish. So few people finish what they start. To teach the next generation of believers to finish their course. Finishing can become something that's, that's so remotely done. We want to quit everything. I'm going to stop here for just a minute. Let me talk about a few things. We want to quit everything when it gets difficult, when it gets hard. It's not comfortable. It's not fun. It's not enjoyable. You see, when you're spending lots of money on that credit card to, to buy all those things that you think, felt that you had to have, it's then that it's exciting, but it's later on when you get into the burden of all the financial debt. All the burden of financial debt. The first, <clears throat> the first year of my marriage, my wife and I had married, been married 32 years, um, like about a week and a half ago. Uh, how many believes the first year is always, honey, always a honeymoon? Okay, the first year was getting used to living with each other. I'll tell you this story again. I've told, never told it before. Okay, I have. Uh, <clears throat> um, we lived in a little rock house at CBC. It's where we were going to school. And, and uh, you know, when you were a guy and you were used to going to play ball and had your own life and you, you kind of done things at your leisure. I remember one time I told her I was going to go play ball with some guys. And I don't know, this might be, be mixing two stories here, so forgive me. But <clears throat> we had an argument about it. And one time, uh, it was a little bitty house, a living room, a kitchen, and had a little bedroom over here. And I remember standing beside the living beside the kitchen, and my wife grabbed a cornflake box and shoved me I'm talking power, powerful. Uh, shoved me in that box into the water heater. And I remember going to get my car. It's the only time in my life I've ever done this. It's the only time I've ever done this. I went and got my car, and I want to show her how loud it squealed the tires when I pulled off. 
just to let her know I was mad. You know what you do when you're mad like that? You, go, you usually go do something stupid. So I went to the mall and I walked around. I felt stupid. And I said, this is ridiculous. So I went back to the house and she's waiting on me with open arms. But back to the matter is, if we had done that the rest of our life, if I had flew off the handle and she shoved me into hot water heaters and poured cornflakes on me and all the things that she had done so horrible, all those things that she had done, if we had continued to go that way, it would have brought complete disruption to her life, would it not? I know there's something unique about Paul that he was able to, to move on after he had finished his course, finished his work here. I want to read something to you in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 23. Now, I told you, he said he's ready to go. He's, he's finished his race. He's done all these things. But want, in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, dude, it's anything, anything but normal. Anything but normal as a man who's, who suffered for Christ. Are, them, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more labors and labors more abundant and stripes above measure and prisons more frequent and deaths often. Of the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus, save one, 39 stripes at five different times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils often. This guy had been through things that we can't even imagine. If we try, with our lame excuses, we go before God, we, we whine and, and say all these things that we're so tore up about, we're so upset about. How can we compare to this guy? None, none of us. We want a different next year, but we're not willing to do whatever it takes to get something different next year. You see, that's what New Year's resolutions are all about. They're about resolve, about something that's established. And you're, if you're a person resolved, you decide, and, and that's how you live the rest of your life. You don't, you don't waver from it. You don't back down from it. And that's exactly how he was. I could go on and read the rest, but... So I will. In perils of, by the heathen, in perils of the city, in the perils of the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painful, painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and in nakedness. Everything that you could imagine it happened in your life it happened to him. But yet he still continued to fight. What are you fighting for? Are you willing to fight for? Glenn brings this up often. We, we, he talks to me. He says that on Wednesday night, I remember sharing it several years ago. And, but if, if something's worth fighting for, it's worth having. If it's not worth fighting for, get rid of it. And in each of our lives, there's, there's times that we fight for things that, that aren't important at all. And then there's times that we don't fight for the most important things. And the most important thing is that I myself... I can change the way I am. I can have different direction in my family with my influence upon them because that's all Paul was doing. I'm going to influence that one, that one Timothy here at the end. So finish. How do you finish stuff? Do you even finish it? Or do you quit and go the opposite direction? 
Do you finish what you started? It's not always easy. It's not always pleasant. But are you finished? Are you a finisher? So how have we fared? Have we quit? Endured? Or what if we were Paul? Would God have ever called us? Would there, there, there be anything unique about us that God would have shone a light of heaven and, and knocked us off of our, our donkey and he got our attention that way? But would he ever have done it because he's seen the character of our heart? And let me say this to you. You may think, no, I'm not the same, but you know what? We all can be. It's all determining what's important in your life. Am I right? There's things that's happened in my life in, in the past and in my wife's life in the past that we've got to sit and make a decision. I'm going to be the same. I'm going to be better. And something's going to be different in my life for the rest of my life. You've endured. You change. Or you change your profession. I, I felt this morning while we were worshiping that song do it again and that's one of my favorite songs but but there were, there was people here who was questioning if, if God's legitimate if God God is really really pertinent and he's really really relevant to them in their life the worst you think you can do is quit the worst you think you can do is quit how many times does God pull us through things? Then we want to quit. I'm going to use an example of somebody here in the church. He's not here today, so it's his lucky day. It's Eric Blair. Uh, and he's isn't humorous. It's, it's very serious. This summer he was, he all know he's an ag pilot, and he was in a plane. He just had it loaded. He was down south somewhere, Malden or somewhere else down south. And he went to take off. And his motor stalled. Now, you don't have a backup motor. You know that? It was a brand new plane. You care if I say how much they cost? Okay, they're $1.4 million is how much these planes cost. And it stalled. Now, I don't get all the details right, but somehow, as soon as it stalled, he banked it and was able to go down and land fully loaded. <clears throat> Those planes don't have the ability really to land when they're full. You know what they do when they're full? When they go up, they crash. After it's over, I remember Bobby telling me that he, he called him and he asked him if he's okay. He said, yeah. And, but here's the thing. We can have experiences like that our whole life. We can have experiences where God shows up and miraculously he can lay it down and, and it's not damaged and nothing's happened to me and, and it's got 7,000 pounds or whatever uh, of, of material in it and it still landed okay. And we can forget sometime after a period of time, we kind of put it in the back burner because the Lord has been so faithful to us and yet we begin to forget and begin, begin to quit. I like to go to Luke chapter 1. Eric didn't quit flying. I know he's seen the, the miracle of God in him landing. You can talk to him about it. I'm not saying everybody's going to be in ministry and everybody needs to be, but I'll say this. 
if you're happy in your job and you're moving to your job and you're moving forward and, and, and there's something that, there's something, a series of events that draw, drew you in that direction. And you know, Paul, Paul was going to be in the Sanhedrin. He was from the tribe of Benjamin and, and he was going to be in the Sanhedrin, a, a big political leader in the spiritual, in the spiritual things, Judaism. And, and I just had, a, my thoughts all just left me for a second. Let me regain them for a minute. Uh, Oh, he had all these plans of of what great things he could do for the Sanhedrin, for this great political, uh, spiritual political realm. And while he was was on his way to do more damage to the Christians because of that, God began to give his attention and pulled him aside and done some things. But the Lord drew him because of his passion. He drew him into Christianity instead of staying in Judaism. Now, let me just read my notes to you. For some reason, something pulls into us into what we're doing. For some reason, conviction, emotion, a thought process, something, you are, are you reaching your potential. Maybe you're doing it, but, but you're not doing it the best you can or, the, or do all that you can do. And I'm gonna say this about little things you do here at church. There's little things we do here at church, we, we kind of halfway do them and, and we try to say that it's our calling or whatever it may be, but we're really not applying ourselves. I'm gonna go to Luke chapter one. This is really not... A Christmas message. Let's just stay with me. And the angel said unto Mary, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Go to verse 46. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord. My spirit, doth, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaid. For behold, that from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. Oh, just a minute, why did he choose Mary? Was, was she from a certain family they thought a lot of? Or, or did he choose someone that no one considered? She's just completely, uh, people were completely unaware of Mary. It's just, just that she was going to be married and that she was betrothed to Joseph. But she was un- unconscionable about someone who would carry the Messiah. Why would the Lord choose her? Because God sees something in her that he didn't see in everybody else. And he's seen a commitment level and he's seen a, a, a level of a character, a level of character within her that he didn't see in other people. And she even wrote, she even said later, and it's called the, the Song of Mary or whatever. But in verse 40, 48, he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaid. I am nobody. Why would God choose me and look in your own life? I am nobody. I am no one. In a family of three, I am no one. In a family of one, Family of 10, maybe you are a no one and no one ever regarded you as special. Someone never regarded you as something unique. But God regards the things that are unspecial. Someone is just normal, but they have great character. You look at Jabez, of all the brothers, he was considered righteous and he, he lived a life that was holy. And he was the one that was blessed, not the others. And this new year resolution, we think of a lot of things. But if God is dealing with you with things you need to do in this next year, or maybe a, a personal commitment to, to something that you do, or even here at the church or in ministry or outside of the church, make sure you, you show yourself re, um, 
another one of those second. Make you so you show yourself worthy of the call that he's given you. I'll tell you why he chose Mary. She was young. She's inexperienced. But she was willing to endure all the opposition that she would face. She was capable. She knew that God would be faithful. And this year, the same is true for you. But just sometimes we write off these little impromptu little things, these little urges, these little uh, things that God speaks so hard or or, or lays something upon us that we don't understand. Why why do I have those feelings? Or why do I have this desire to go and do this or or that? Or or why do I feel led to do what I'm supposed to do? Friend, the most important thing you can do is be a man or a woman of integrity and that you follow through with, with what it is you feel led to do. The Lord is going to ask you to do something that require more of you. Some of you will ask, and others of you, he won't bring it up. But the one, ones that he asks, ask him what it is. And don't be afraid to fulfill what he calls you to do. I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm going to say pastoring. I'm not saying necessarily advances on what it is. I don't know. But I know some, some of you have questions in your mind about thoughts that you have about ministry and about, about being obedient to God. Friend, he wouldn't say something to you. He wouldn't, he wouldn't prod you. He wouldn't convict you. He wouldn't compel you if he didn't think that you had it in you to fulfill what, what he was calling you to do. Would he? Mary's life didn't stop with Christ. And I think sometimes we get misconstrued in thinking that all her life was just, she didn't have a life of her own. She had a life of Christ and it's always up. But she had it for several years. But when he was gone, she still had a family. And she still had some sons who carried on the ministry of Christ. Her life wasn't just the one thing, it led to other things. Man. We may not be in a position where he's going to lead us to be the, the mother of a son or a disciple. Maybe you don't feel good enough, in which we're all guilty of that. But a lot of us, a lot of times, use that for an excuse not to fulfill the things that God has called us to do. So many of you. I may act cheesy sometime when I talk to you. You have no idea how much it means to me to see you in this church. No idea. Why do I see you when I see you in the church? Potential for change. Not that I can change you, the teaching or preaching, none of that. It's simple what God can do in your life. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. 
next year, we can have lots of dreams and aspirations, but if we're not committed. You know, Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16, it says, though a righteous man fall seven times, he still gets up. He still gets up. And I looked how many times the word seven is used in the Old Testament. It was used right at 500 times. There's a lot of significance about seven, but you may not be perfect. You may have a, a few scars. You may have a, a, a problem. And, he doesn't call the perfect. He doesn't call the spot free. He doesn't expect you to walk on water. He doesn't. But he sure does want you to be willing. When we came to this church several, 15 years ago, November 31st, I didn't want to come here didn't want to even after they voted us I, I can't say that I wanted to my wife did my wife knew we was coming here I didn't you know when God spoke to me and said Bloomfield I told you that story and he spoke to me Bloomfield in Kentucky when we were there and, and I looked at well I looked at the spot Bloomfield what in the world's in Bloomfield little did I know back then that God would take someone as ordinary is me. There is nothing unique about anybody up here. There's nothing unique about any of you. But there was something willing, something unique about a willing vessel. Just being willing. Just being willing. If you fall, get back up. I mean, the worst, the worst thing that you can do when you when you fall short of what you should be or what you should be going to do is, is to lay in the, in the pitiful state of being down and depressed and look at me, woe is me. Stop. Get back up and keep going. Last thing I'm going to say. It was John chapter 6. The unlikely, the unlikely, the unlikely. You know, I could come and ask someone. I just randomly go up and pick somebody to say, "I want you to teach my class tonight." Have you ready to teach my class tonight? Yeah, no, no, no. And probably most of us would be about that way. If I could say, "Ted, you want to teach my class tonight?" No, okay. And that's Sunday school class. For those of you who don't know, we have Sunday school and Sunday evenings, and it's from uh, 6 to 7. But I would like to, there's someone I'd like to say something too, but I won't. But the most unlikely person here, 
you think you come, you just, you're quiet, you sit there, nobody looks at you, you shake my hand or shake his hand, that's about it, you never say a word. Oh, you're a prime candidate for something great. You just are. This little boy, chapter 6, verse 6. Well, Verse 7. Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that they, everyone might take home a little. They may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said, There's a lad here who had five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now, there, were that much, there was in that place much grass, and the amount of men that sit down was about 5,000. I'm going to stop here for just a second. He had the unlikely. He had the one that, it wasn't even New Year's. He had a situation, they didn't have any food, had 5,000 men. This is not, not counting women and children, so maybe 10,000, maybe 15. 5,000 men. So everybody sit down. And if Walker's a little older, I had to come up here and hand me some little bread and some things. But I, I just think of a little boy and his little lunch bag or lunch whatever he had back then, leather lunch pals, what it would have been. And he said, here, take it. Didn't have much, but who knows what happened to that little boy the rest of his life. Who knows what happened in that situation where he took that little bit and had 12 basketfuls left over. What happened to everyone who was around that one? That little boy, the most unlikely in all the crowd, may have been there by himself, I don't know. How about you? Maybe you're the most unlikely. Maybe you're the one that nobody would ever, ever consider. And maybe everything's been good in your life. You've had a, you've had a good job, a good career, and done all these things. I would never, maybe no one would ever consider you doing something different. I don't either, but maybe, maybe God is.